Praise the Lord, everybody. This is Brother Paxton, and I'm here again this week. It's awesome. Two weeks in a row, we're getting back on into the swing of things here with live radio. Now, and incidentally, the programs will be posted to the Old Time Power, and uh, you can find them there. They're also listed in the live stream section. And so please take advantage of your opportunities to listen as often as you would like. We welcome you here and uh, all different kinds of believers from all different kinds of backgrounds to sit around the Word of God together. And in today's case, not so much a a sermon or a message as it is just to kind of chat about uh, some things that are in Psalm 35. Psalm 35 is an imprecatory psalm. And if you remember some weeks, months ago, whatever it was, we did a program where we talked about imprecatory psalms. Uh, and we made some comments on that program. I want to expand upon that uh, here today. And the, the Lord just kind of dropped this into my lap. I was doing a little research, and I come across some uh, very good thoughts as to imprecatory psalms in New Testament times, and I want to share that with you today. But before we do that, I want to read the entire psalm. And I want to do it because, I mean, it's, it's kind of long, 28 verses, but it gives us a beautiful picture of what's going on not only in David's life, but it also gives a picture of how David handles this. And this is in reference to David praying about praying to God about his enemies, about David's enemies. And let's just face it, in today's world, you really can't live your life for too very long without having an enemy of some sort at one time or another. And so the Bible, deals with this. And even though we're not under Old Testament times anymore, it's a different covenant that we live today. The Old Testament is for us today. And it's valuable in, uh, in application to the New Testament lifestyle of a, of a believer. Okay, I want you to understand that. So this is not just, you know, a waste of time. The Old Testament is there for us today. It is at every bit as true as it was under the old covenant, and it has an application under the new covenant. And so as we begin, we'll be breaking off here and there, but ultimately we want to get this all in if we can here today. And if I have time at the end of the program, then I'll give you some updates and some announcements. If I don't have time this week, we will try to you know do it the next time uh, that we come together. So Psalm 35, is a plea for judgment. It's a psalm of David, and here's what it says. Plead my cause, O Lord, with them that strive with me. Fight against them that fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler and stand up for my help. How many knows today that when God stands up, the enemy has a problem? Right on? Okay, so draw out also the spear and stop the way against them that persecute me. In other words, block their path. Block their inroad into my life. That's what the psalmist is actually praying. Don't give them access to me to hurt me. Okay, draw also the spear and stop the way against them that persecute me. Say unto my soul, I am thy salvation. Let them be confounded and put to shame that seek after my soul. Let them be turned back and brought to confusion that devise my hurt. And so when he's talking here about putting them to shame that seek after his soul, I don't believe from the wording that's used, it's referring necessarily to like eternal salvation. I think he's referring here, uh, let's read it one more time here because I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> it says, let them be confounded and put to shame that seek after my soul. In other words, they're trying to keep David so upset they're trying to keep David so uh, uh, always looking over his shoulder. You could liken it today to the person who has to watch everything they say, every step they take. Somebody's waiting to pounce. Somebody's waiting to grapple with this individual. And it, it 
was a concern to him because it came as a solical attack first. Now, I have no doubt that there were many who would have taken uh, David's physical life if they could have done so. But here, if, if the attack is against the soul for an extended period of time, it begins to attack the faith of an individual. And so David knew that God was faithful. David knew that God would take care of him. David knew that God would provide all of these things that he writes about in the Psalms and other places in the word of God. But if this attack could be continued by the enemy long enough, then it could cause David problems with his faith. And I think that's ultimately, ladies and gentlemen, what Satan is after. Every time he wants our faith, he wants, our, he wants to take our faith in God and dash it to pieces over things, over situations that we don't understand. Maybe we don't understand what God is doing. We can't see behind the scenes. And so Satan keeps hitting and hitting and hitting until our faith begins to weaken. Verse five says, let them be a shaft before the wind and let the angel of the Lord chase them. Let their way be dark and slippery and let the angel of the Lord persecute them for without cause have they hid for me in their net and have they hid for me their net in a pit which without cause they have digged for my soul. So there he mentions his soul, the soul battle, the soulical parts of him. Let destruction come upon him at unawares, let his net that he has hid catch himself into that very destruction, let him fall. And my soul shall be joyful in the Lord. And, and incidentally, this is the way, uh, this little statement here uh, that David is gonna make is the way out of mental warfare or the effects of uh, feeling defeated underneath the pressure of mental warfare my soul shall be joyful in the Lord. It shall rejoice in his salvation. All my bones shall say, Lord, who is like unto thee, which delivers the poor from him that is too strong for him, yea, the poor and the needy from him that spoileth him. False witnesses did rise up, and they laid to my charge things that I knew not. They rewarded me evil for good to the spoiling of my soul. That's what they were trying to do. And sometimes it hits all of us like that. You know, we'll be doing all we can to do good for Jesus and the kingdom of God. And, and, and we'll, be, we'll be treating people with a smile and they'll answer back with a frown. We'll be treating people well. We'll reach out to people. They'll cut us off and reject it. Uh, I could go on and on and on and on. And, and those are like everyday things. N nobody's perfect in their behavior at all times but it can get more serious than that. And with David here, it was more serious than that, than just somebody rejecting his uh, advance of righteousness or whatever the case might be. These people here, these enemies of King David actually made it very personal against him. You can read the story uh, in, the, in the Kings, you can read about it in Chronicles, where all of these issues were coming at David at one time. Now you think of it. There's strength in the Lord, my friend. I've, I firmly believe the only way David would have made it through, and he did make it through. He did. Absolutely did. He needed the Lord. And you and I today, we need the Lord as well. Okay, so they rewarded me evil for good to the spoiling of my soul. It really bothered him. and It really bothers us too. When we do good and they reward us with evil. But listen to what the next verse says. But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting and my prayer returned into my own bosom. I behaved myself as though he had been my friend or my brother. I bowed down heavily as one that mourneth for his mother. But in my adversity, they rejoiced. They gathered themselves together, yea, the abjects gathered themselves together against me, and I knew it not. They did tear me and ceased not. Now, 
there's two ways that this can be done, of course, to your face or behind your back. And I'll, I'll, tell, I'll just say it to you this way in this brief moment. Please don't be the type of Christian that will go off and tear somebody up behind their back. Because if you'll do it, just if you'll talk to another person about another person and you'll do it behind their back and you've got biting and sarcastic, critical things to say, eventually you will do it to their face. You can take the secret sin of gossip or murmuring and complaining, and those are sins, by the way. Uh, eventually that sin will find you out and it will come out publicly for the whole world to see. And, and that's the principle that the scripture teaches. So don't, so don't do that. We see it here. It's terrible. But in my adversity, David said, they rejoiced. The abjects gathered themselves together against me, and I knew it not. I wasn't even aware. I had done good to these people, uh, David is saying. And he says, when I wasn't even aware of it, they were tearing me up. They were setting traps for me. They were trying to figure out how they could test me. They were trying to figure out a way to be angry. Have you ever met someone that they're just looking for a reason to be angry, looking for a reason to be upset, looking for something to pick at. That is not a Christian virtue, my friend. Verse 16 says this, with hypocritical mockers and feasts, they gnashed upon me with their teeth. Lord, how long wilt thou look on? Rescue my soul, there it is again, from their destructions. In other words, God's not gonna let you go down. He's not going to let you have a breakdown over it. He's not going to let you have uh, this problem to continue. He's going to provide a solution for you. Sometimes the best thing you can do when you're in a situation, especially like a Christian chat room or a, a Facebook situation or something, and somebody's out there just running their mouth and don't even know what they're talking about half the time, sometimes the best thing you can do is leave the room. Maybe God is providing you a way out. Leave the room. You don't have to engage in mean-spirited, critical conversations that tear people down. You and I are here to give people life. The Word of God gives life. Verse 17, Lord, how long wilt thou look on? Rescue my soul from their destructions, my darling from the lions and I will give thee thanks in the great congregation. I will praise thee among much people. Let not them that are mine enemies wrongfully rejoice over me, neither let them wink with the eye that hate me without a cause. And this speaks of deception. This, this has a tone to it, the way it's written here of deception that, uh, you know, they're, they're going to tell me one thing, but they're going to wink at their friend with the eye, meaning they mean something completely different than what they're sharing. And, and remember, they were after David. They wanted David to be fooled into trusting them so that they could ultimately kill him. See, you need to learn to develop discernment and to listen to your spirit in the day that we live in today. Okay, let's finish this up and then we'll get down to some points here uh, on how the imprecatory psalms, they are for us today and how under New Testament times can believers enter into this type of praying, what should be the direction of it and what should be the boundaries of it. That's coming up, but first let's finish this. Verse 24, they speak not peace but they devise deceitful matters, see there it is, deception, against them that are quiet in the land. You know, they, they've devised de deceitful things to do to those who are quiet in the land. Doesn't that sound like something that you and I as Christians should be aware of in our culture today? First of all, I don't think we ever should have got quiet in the land. And secondly, God can show up the schemes as they happen. He can show those schemes for what they are. 
if we will be alert and attentive to the Holy Spirit. For they speak not peace, but they devise deceitful matters against them that are quiet in the land. Yea, they opened their mouth wide against me and said, Aha, aha, our eye has seen it. They mocked the church. They, they might see those Christians, they got problems too. Well, don't be so ridiculous as to ever think that any human being doesn't have problems. As a Christian, I got a lot of problems, but I also serve the one who has every one of the answers. And so we have to keep this straight. Don't, don't let the day and age which we live, don't let them shame you into silence by trying to use your humanness against you. I think that's an important thought. Don't be shamed into silence just because you did something in your past that you're not proud of. You wish you hadn't have done it, but it happened. And so now they think they can beat you down and keep you quiet. But you need to stand up for the things of God you need to stand up for righteousness. You need to stand up for morality. You have the right to your opinion. And, and listen to this. Anytime, and I kind of got over here into this, which is not planned, and I want to be very circumspect as to how I deal with this, but anytime somebody tries to shame you, threaten you, force you, and into doing anything, it's got to be bad what they want you to do. And I'm going to leave that right there. You can interpret that how you want to, but I don't go for this business. If, if you don't do what we want, we'll put shame on you. Well, we have been delivered from shame, praise God. And so you can run your mouth all you want to, but I'm not going to take shame unto myself. Verse 22 says this, This thou hast seen, O Lord, Keep not silence, O Lord, be not far from me. Stir up thyself and awake to my judgment, even unto my cause, my God and my Lord. Judge me, O Lord, my God, according to your righteousness, and let them not rejoice over me. Praise God. Let them not say in their hearts, ah, so would we have it. Let them not say we have swallowed him. Let them be ashamed and brought to confusion together that rejoice at my hurt. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor that magnify themselves against me. Let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteous cause. Yes, let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified, which has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant and my tongue shall speak of thy righteousness and of thy praise all the day long. So when David calls out for God in this psalm, and I'm going to read you some notes that I took while I was uh, in research about this particular word, imprecatory, okay? Um, uh, David said, fight against them that fight against me. The psalmist prays that God will bring judgment upon the enemies of his people and overthrow the wicked. And I'm not going to give you the list, even though I took one, of all the imprecatory psalms that I found, you know, when I was studying this. But I will say this. You can look at Nehemiah 6.14, Nehemiah 13.29, Jeremiah 15.15. 15. You can also look at Galatians 5 and 12. 2 Timothy 4.14 and Revelation 6.10. Although, now listen to this carefully, although believers are instructed to forgive their enemies, Luke 22.34, and to pray for their salvation, Matthew 5.39, and again in verse 44, a time comes when we must pray for evil to cease, and for justice to be done for the innocent, we should be vitally concerned for the victims of cruelty, oppression, and evil. Now again, as we go through these guidelines here, I want you to think about the condition our nation is in today. There comes a time, even though we forgive our enemies, we pray for their salvation, 
We must pray for evil to cease and for justice to be done for the innocent. And there's some things we need to say about praying imprecatory prayers. They are prayers for deliverance from injustice, from crime, and from oppression. Believe, believers have a right to pray for God's protection from evil people. They are appeals to God to administer justice and to send penalties upon the wicked that are commiserate with their crime. You can see that in uh, Psalm 28, verse 4. If just retribution is not undertaken by God or by human government, violence and chaos will reign in society. You think of it. And you can look at Deuteronomy 25, uh, verses 1 through 3, Romans 13, 3 through 4, and 1 Peter 2, 13 and 14. But as you pray these prayers, note that the psalmist never takes vengeance into his own hands, but commits it to God. Deuteronomy 32, 35, Proverbs 20, 22, and Romans 12, 19. Now there are times, uh, I'll give you one example, in the case of law enforcement, we read in Romans chapter 13 that God has raised up people to take care of the evil situation. So as we pray and we leave it in God's hands, God may tell people to do something. God will tell people to respond in a certain way, this way or that way. We leave all that up to God. But it's important as we pray these prayers that we don't pray hate back to God. We don't pray with hate in our heart. We don't pray hate. We see the ramifications of what is taking place in the world today, and we want the evil stopped for all, for all people, okay? And so we take it to the Lord in the right spirit at the time that we pray. Now, David committed this thing to God. God would often tell David how to respond. And all, all you have to do is look back to the year 1776, and you will see a response that God gave to a great leader by the name of George Washington. And there were others. The founding fathers of America heard from God while today's floundering fathers are trying to eliminate God. But you can't eliminate the eternal cause of all things. You can try. You can vote him out. You can try to shut him down. But you'll never be successful. Because God is the ultimate cause. The initial cause of all things. So God gives responses. Sometimes it's leave the room, like we said earlier. Sometimes it's uh, don't have anything more to do with that person. Sometimes he tells you a little more depending upon the plan of God, depending on a lot of things. Uh, but the response that God gives you is what you are responsible for. So let's look again. The imprecatory Psalms point to the truth that when the iniquity of the wicked reaches its full measure, the Lord in his righteousness, in other words, it's right, he does judge and he does destroy the wicked, okay? And that's a biblical concept. When the iniquity is full, when we could say it this way, when God's had enough, when God's had enough, he will judge and he will destroy the wicked. Genesis 15, 16, Leviticus 18, 24, Revelation 6, 10, and verse 17. Remember that these prayers are to be inspired words of the Holy Spirit, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, and 2 Peter 1, 19 through 21. Not just an expression of the human desire of the psalmist. So let me say that again, and let's be clear about that. Imprecatory prayers or imprecatory psalms are prayers 
that are inspired words of the Holy Spirit. So you, you can't say that. You can't be involved in that if by your attitude you've already grieved the Holy Spirit. In other words, we need to constantly, continually be discerning God's purposes in these areas. Okay? This is not just an expression of an angry human or an angry Christian. This is to be inspired by the word of the Lord. And in order for the Holy Spirit to anoint it, as the word would, would, would tell us, the word of the Lord teaches us that certain things in our behavior can grieve the Holy Spirit, which would make us incapable and render us unable to pray a prayer that will be answered. Okay? It's powerfully important that you get a hold of that thing because uh, this is where we are today. We need intercessors and we need people who will learn to pray the heart of God. And sometimes you find the heart of God in the imprecatory psalms and prayers of the Bible. And that hasn't changed even in our time. In fact, it may be more needed today to pray along these lines than ever before. Okay? So let's, let's, read, it. let's read on a little further. The ultimate goal of an imprecatory prayer is to see injustice and cruelty come to an end, evil destroyed, Satan defeated, godliness exalted, and righteousness established, and also the kingdom of God realized. Wow, that's, that's powerful. That's the ultimate purpose in these things. The, this goal is a dominant concern in the New Testament. Christ himself states that true believers may pray for the vindication of the righteous. I want to say that again. Somebody would say, well, Paxton, you're preaching out of the old covenant here. Yeah, well, Jesus himself said the same thing, that true believers can go ahead and pray for the vindication of the righteous. The widow prayed to avenge her of her adversary, Luke 18.3. It's answered by Jesus' assurance that God will avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him. Powerful. So as we see what's going on, as we see the persecution begin to rise, as we see sin and evil running rampant across our land today, God is looking for those who will turn their face to the wall and humility and sackcloth and ashes and pray imprecatorily for him to move on behalf of the righteous. Hallelujah to the Lamb. God will answer that prayer. God will come for that prayer. As, the, as David said that we read a while ago, God will stand up. And when the Lord stands up, someone has a problem. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Evil has a problem. Wickedness has a problem. Sin has a problem. When God stands up. And it can only happen as believers begin to call out to the Lord. So we see here a huge purpose for the imprecatory Psalms. And we also see a picture of the same type of prayer in the New Testament. But again, the psalmist does not take vengeance into his own hands, but he commits it to God, and he goes with God's plan, and he goes with God's purposes. All right? Let's keep looking here. You can look at uh, Luke 18, 7 and Revelation 6, 9 through 10, also on that point. Believers must keep two biblical principles in balance. And here they are. The desire to see all people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, 2 Peter 3, 9, and the desire to see evil destroyed and the kingdom of God victorious. See, that has to be in balance in our life. We can't be so eager to see all the evil eradicated that we no longer care about getting sinners saved. You follow me? We... we we, 
There's times when Jesus is going to tell you as a believer to let the wheat and tares grow until harvest time. Because sometimes if you pull up tares, you'll also pull out some of the good wheat. This is the same thing that the Lord laid on my heart about all this stuff about false teachers and and prophets and everything that's going on. Did the prophets miss it? Did they miss it? You know, sometimes if you don't approach those things right, you will tear up not only the tares, but you'll pull some of the good wheat out with it. You hear what I'm saying? You will pull some of the good wheat as well with it. Okay, let's, let's say all of that again. Believers must keep two biblical principles in balance. The desire to see all people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's 2 Peter 3.9. And they have to balance that with the desire to see evil destroyed in the kingdom of God victoriously. We must earnestly pray for the salvation of the lost and weep for those who reject the gospel. Yet we must know also that righteousness, goodness, and love will never be established according to God's purposes until evil is conquered and Satan and his followers are forever put down. So basically, as long as we're living in this world today, as long as we're living uh, on the planet as fallen humanity, before the great day of the Lord, before the time of the millennial reign with Christ, there's going to be these type of issues and problems that come up. And it's, it's important that we understand how to balance our own hearts. I mean, my, bat, my, my battle oftentimes is I desire to see truth proclaimed from behind every pulpit. And I know that there are some people out there who are proclaiming lies and deception. And sometimes I address myself to it if the Holy Spirit prompts me to do it. But I also have to balance at the same time, I don't want to tear up any good wheat along with this tear. I don't want to root out the good along with the bad. And so sometimes the Holy Spirit has to teach us how to say these things and teach us how to deal with these type of circumstances. Amen. Hallelujah. So it says, we must earnestly pray for the salvation of the lost, weep for those who reject the gospel. Yet, we must know also that righteousness, goodness, and love will never be established according to God's purpose until evil is conquered and Satan and his followers are forever put down. You can look at Revelation 6.10, 6.17, and 6.19 through 21. The faithful must pray. And I like this part right here. If you want to be faithful to the work of the Lord in this generation that you and I are living right now, here's the prayer. Even so, come Lord Jesus, Revelation 22, 20. That is God's ultimate and final solution for evil in the world. Okay? So what we have here is a situation where as we begin to pray, and I'm going to go ahead and say it in this type of verbiage right here. As we pray against what we see the enemy doing in America right now, as we begin to pray against that, God will give some solutions if we will be bold enough to pick them up and run with the vision. Hallelujah. God will give us answers, but ultimately, prophetically, this is going in one direction. And I think we have to understand that as we get ready to close this message here today. It ultimately goes in one direction. And if you read your Bible, you know what direction that the, this world's going in. The cup of iniquity is filling up. It will get darker but then ultimately light at the great day of God Almighty. So we, we can see that we are going to pray. Of course we are. And God, God has 
solutions for each individual situation too. It's not just the whole thing. I mean, when you start talking about a message for America, that's an awful lot of people. And it's always more than just that. It's a, a powerful word from God will have solutions for individuals as well. And so that I pray constantly, Lord, I, I'm talking to people out there. I'm not talking necessarily to Congress or to a nation as a whole. Even though ultimately we are. I don't care if you pastor the smallest church in the country, your voice is important as you speak to and address the issues facing our country today. But here's the thing, we're talking to individuals. And so if it's a word from God, it's not only gonna have the great big in mind, it's also gonna have little me in mind as well. And it's gonna provide a solution for something that God, something that the Lord wants to do in my own life. Okay, and we could go on and on and on in this. And we've made a lot of statements and we haven't explained them all. And I, I won't have time here today. But here's what I want you to take away from the 35th Psalm. We, we understand what position David found himself in. We understand that David was being persecuted. David representing righteousness. David representing kingdom of God. He was being persecuted. He was, he was plotted against and they were ultimately wanting to take his life. And it's not surprising. Look what they did to Jesus. Do you know they didn't take Jesus' life? He gave it up freely for the salvation of the world. And so King David is here calling on really what this amounts to. It, it's, it's David calling on the Lord against David's personal enemies. But in reality, it's also David calling on God to come against God's enemies. It's the same thing almost as saying, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Because if we have a grasp of the, uh, if we have a grasp of what righteousness is and what holiness is and what the kingdom of God is, then we know that when Jesus returns, he will fight the ultimate battle against evil, and he's already won it. It was prophesied in the very beginning. There's really going to be no fight. It's just going to look like a fight with enemies everywhere, spiritual enemies everywhere, the Antichrist, the false prophet also, others who have set themselves against God. It's going to look like a fight, but in reality, it is a, it is a, it is a victory for God. He's going to come down and dispose of them quickly, and rather easily, I might have to quickly add, because God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's omniscient. He's everywhere. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. So God has the situation for your life and for mine well in hand. When we face these type of issues, God has everything under control. But here's the thing. I get in the way sometimes. My mouth will get in the way. My brain will get in the way. My appetite will get in the way, whatever the case might be. But God has the solution all along. So I would leave you saying with this statement. Uh, in, in the fourth verse, it said, let them be confounded uh, and put to shame. The New Testament believer may use this prayer as a call to God to contend with our greatest enemy, Satan, and as a testimony of our hatred of sin and evil. So I would advise this, as we pray over the United States right now and all the things that we see happen, it's not, it's not people that we want to see destroyed, though that may come. Because some of the people that are making the laws, some of the people that are doing the, the persecuting of Christians right now in our own country, they have no respect nor regard for the things of God. And so there's going to be a payday someday if they don't repent and turn to Jesus Christ. And Jesus always leaves that door open for them to repent and turn to him until he doesn't. And that's up to him. 
That's not up to me. My goal is to spread the truth. My goal is to pray for the salvation of souls. My goal is to also stand upon the truth of the word of God and not compromise and not back down, but to do exactly what God says to do. And so the, the victory is assured. And what we're really praying against is the, the real enemy behind the actions of people. Not so much the people, but the real enemy behind the actions of people, which is Satan. And we are praying, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We're praying, set up your kingdom upon the earth, Lord Jesus. Lord, make this right. Lord, put a stop to this evil. Put a stop to wickedness, God. Put a stop to these things. And as we begin to pray that, that is in effect a prayer against our greatest enemy, Satan. And Satan will find out he's not so great. He has an open door to people due to the fall until those people are born again, but then they can close that door. If only we would close that door. Amen. Amen. So these are these are principles. Let's go over them briefly one more time as we close. Pray for deliverance from injustice, from crime and oppression. We have a right as believers, a biblical right to be protected by God from evil people. God said he won't do that. Okay, so we pray for that. There's the first two. Also, we appeal to God to ad administer justice, to send penalties upon the wicked that are commensurate with the crime they have committed. Um, and we don't want violence and chaos reigning in our society. That's why we pray these type of prayers. Uh, don't take vengeance into your own hand. We discussed that, uh, but commit everything to God. We also discussed the fact that when the iniquity of the wicked reaches its full measure, the Lord and his righteousness will judge and will destroy all who come against him. We also remember that these prayers are to be inspired words of the Holy Spirit, not just an expression of the human desire of the psalmist. So it's important that we keep our heart and our attitudes right so that the Holy Spirit can anoint our prayers and God can bring those answers. The ultimate goal of an imprecatory prayer, remember what we said it was, to see injustice and cruelty come to an end, to see evil destroyed, hallelujah, to see Satan defeated, to see godliness exalted, righteousness established, and the kingdom of God realized. That's the dominant concern uh, in the New Testament as well, okay? And also, we said that believers, they have to keep two principles in balance in their lives. And one of them is the desire to see all people come to salvation through Jesus Christ, and also to see evil destroyed in the kingdom of God victorious. So as we pray, and another little thing that, that I've learned over the years is when I pray, I ask God to show me how to pray. Show me how to pray about this situation. Even though I can see what's taking place and I can see what's happening, I don't want to say things that would offend the Holy Spirit. And then my, my prayer I might as well not pray it. If the Holy Spirit's offended and he's not going to anoint it, I might as well not pray it. So before I ever start to pray, I ask the Lord, please show me, Lord, how you want me to pray about this. Show me what's going on in this situation that I'm watching with my eyes right now. Show me, Lord, in the spirit, what's going on and teach me how to pray about it. And sometimes it requires us, I'll be honest with you, it, it requires us to sit back and, and meditate on it for a little while and study the situation, keeping our mouth quiet while we wait for how to pray from the Lord on the situation. Sometimes I've, this, is, this is hard to take. I, I struggled with this for a very long time, and I still do at times. Um. Sometimes before we ever open our mouth, we just really need to pray about that. Lord, don't let me say the wrong thing. 
what is really happening here. I don't remember we talked earlier in our time today on this program. I don't want to tear up the wheat with the tares. And sometimes God will just tell you, leave it alone and let them grow together until the harvest at the end of the age. Some things are just going to be because we live on a fallen planet. Some things, some people, you can't never change. So we pray for them on another level. Okay? And then there are some things where God is going to definitely want to give a plan. Remember, we talked about that. Uh, and the example we used was 1776. It could be anything. It could be, you know, how do I get my, uh, how do I get my spouse out of depression? And the Lord will give you a plan to bring, help your spouse come out of depression. Ultimately, they have to make the decision. But uh, there are things that we can say and do, and God knows what they are. So he gives it to us if we're in prayer. I'm going to tell you this, and you can take it for what it's worth. Um, if the only prayer time you have is like 15 minutes a day, and I understand people are busy. I understand also, though, that the scripture says to be in the spirit of prayer at all times, pray without ceasing. And so if we're, if we're not constantly talking to God, then don't expect to know what to do in situations like this. And instead, what will happen is you will react out of your flesh. So we need to get that flesh put down by this, the Spirit of the Lord, and we can only do that in His presence. We can only do that through prayer and through the Word of God and through opening ourselves to change if that's what God wants us to do. And there's a lot of different directions that we could take this into today, but I'm just about out of time. So we're going to leave that there. I just wanted to give you these thoughts of imprecatory prayers in the time that you and I are living in under the new covenant. They are real. They are for us today. There are just some things that we need to keep in mind as we go through. And we've already shared those with you. Ultimately, they are prayers that come against the kingdom of darkness in our world today. And oh, how we need to be involved with that. So thank you very much for joining me for this little program uh, here today. I wanna say a couple words um, about Medora, North Dakota. Hey, we Angie and I were gone for two weeks. We were in the Black Hills for a week of South Dakota, and we were in Medora, North Dakota also for a week with day trips to Wyoming and Montana. We had a great time preaching in some meetings and also making devotions. You can see those on our YouTube channel. And occasionally we put up uh, an audio, a short audio devotion on this channel as well. Um, we have another podcast, which is with Anchor. It's called Bible Nuggets. And that's more specifically for the short um, devotional talks that we give on the road, in the backyard, in the office, wherever we happen to be at. But the only reason we do any of this is because God called us to do it, and God said it would bless many people. And so thank you also for your testimonies that have been coming in. And thank you, thank you, thank you to our partners, because you make all the difference in the world as to how fast we can run with the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But anyway, in Medora, we uh, we had some fantastic weather. There were a couple storms, but check these temperatures out. Three days, it was 104 degrees. One day, it got up to 106 degrees. And then it was between 99 and 101 the other days that we were there. So, I mean, we there were storms brewing, but it never rained much during the day. Most of the storms came in either late evening or in the middle of the night. And so we, we did get quite a bit of work done. We met some great people and looking forward to going back and ministering in cowboy churches and different things again in that area. Uh, this was the second time Angie and I had been to Medora. The first was 12 years ago. And uh, we've always wanted to go back. We found it 
simply by accident. We found it because we pulled in off the interstate just before a bad storm hit. And we pulled into this little town called Medora, had never been there before. We didn't even realize when we stopped that it was the Theodore Roosevelt National Park. But um, we had such a good time that we always wanted to go back and spend some time. So we did it uh, in July of 2021 and um, just seen God work in mighty ways. Uh, somewhere I put up a picture. I can't remember if it's on my, well, I know it's on an Instagram somewhere. Uh, I have more than one. And I, what happens is I log out and I forget how to log back in. So uh, I fi finally figured out how to get back into one. And I put a picture of, of a young, of a, not a young, but a, a fellow believer who we had taken the time to pray with. He was very de depressed. And we met up with about 30 people like this. I think, I think actually we prayed with 22 people uh, while we were out there. And uh, the enemy is just hitting with depression. He's hitting with loss. He's hitting with all kinds of things. This brother uh, lost a lot of people in his life uh, from COVID. And so we began to pray and we began to just see the, the Holy Spirit. You could visibly see the Holy Spirit ministering to this guy's heart. And it was powerful. And that's the kind of thing that I love. You don't always have to be sitting in a building and, and listening to a sermon for the Holy Spirit to minister. Of course, we want you in the building and we want you to hear the word. Uh, so don't take it that way. But um, God can do anything. Man, I'm just telling you, you can take it to the bank. God Almighty can do anything if you will dare to believe him. God can save this nation. God can save your neighbor. God can save that family member that just seems like they'll never get saved. Let me tell you, God can do it. And so, again, let me encourage you as we go off the air here in just a moment. Let me encourage you to take these imprecatory situations. Take them to the Lord. Don't take vengeance into your own hands. Let God have it. God will deal with it. Don't worry. Take them to the Lord. Pray for the kingdom of darkness to be defeated and the kingdom of God to be exalted and developed upon the earth. And God will, in his own time, he will answer our prayer that goes like this. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Isn't that what we want? Hallelujah. I believe it's close. How about you? I believe the rapture of the church is close at hand. And let us be found in the master's fields. Let us be found working that harvest at the time of his return. So until we can come together again around the word of God, this is Evangelist Len Paxton saying, go with God and he will go with you. Bless you now is my sincere prayer.